Hi, this is James Brown, soul brother number one, always fighting. Now I'm fighting for your life. I'm fighting for your life because if you use drugs, you better leave it alone. Drugs are contagious. They're killers. Every drug is a killer. Stay away from drugs. Drugs will take your life away. And if you want to live, stay away from drugs because they are super bad, super bad, super bad, super bad. We're going to welcome back to our program uh, one of our favorite investigative journalists. He's been on our show many times. He's got too many books for me to even recall. I'll have to have him go through some of what those are on his current website, which we do recommend you check out. But uh, without further ado, let's say welcome back to Radio Parallax, James DiGenio. It's nice to be back. I haven't done this show in a while. should be fun. Good, good, good. I, I was especially intrigued by your Kennedy and King website. A few days ago, I guess, you posted something that just got my attention. Um, those who are not that familiar with um, the JFK case probably did see the movie JFK, and, and there was that memorable performance in that movie by uh, Joe Pesci playing a rather singular character named David Ferry, who mm-hmm. Jim Garrison got quite interested in, and... Unfortunately, as soon as the Garrison case uh, got, got in the public eye, wouldn't you know it, two type suicide notes were found next to him, and, uh, and he was ruled dead by natural causes. <laughs> so there's a lot, a lot of curious things about David Ferry, but you've posted this, this point at the fact that the FBI was interested in him very early, earlier than anybody knew. Well, uh, it, you can't get much earlier, because it turns <laughs> out that... Contrary to what anybody would have believed by what the FBI said, they had information on David Ferry as being a possible suspect on the day of the assassination. I had never seen this document before. Let's put it this way. If I did see it, I either put it aside or I forgot about it. But uh, it was just sent to me by the British researcher Malcolm Blunt, and uh, it's really kind of surprising in more than one way, uh, first of all, 
if you take a look at the document, they actually had information about Ferry before Jim Garrison did. Right. You know? Uh, but then what happens, of course, is when, after Garrison questioned Ferry, I believe on the 25th or the 26th, he sent them over to the FBI. The FBI more or less released Ferry, and they went and made this uh, rather odd announcement that it wasn't their idea to bring him in. It was a district attorney of New Orleans. But they never revealed that they actually had information on him and were accumulating information on him up until the 25th. All right? Now, what, what, what the document actually says is that on the evening of the assassination, the, an intelligence officer from the New Orleans Police Department calls up the FBI and says that they might be interested because David Ferry has some interesting qualities about him that Ferry might be a person of interest to them, all right, because he knows that he was flying planes into Central America, all right, and he was associated with the Cuban exiles, and he understood that he knew Oswald, okay, through these Cuban activities. And so the FBI says, well, yeah, uh, we would be interested in any information uh, that you could produce that Oswald was friendly with David Ferry. Now, this, this is the evening of the assassination. Right. All right. Now, ab about two days later, on the 24th, <clears throat> it turns out that he gets another lead on David Ferry from a local newsman. All right, who also says, this guy also says that he recalls that Oswald was friendly with Ferry through the Civil Air Patrol, all right, and that they were going to try and track down Ferry, okay, uh, because they knew he was working for a local lawyer named, uh, uh, named Gill, G. Ray Gill, all right. So then a day after that, they get another lead, okay? And this is from another local reporter saying that uh, Ferry had been uh, to Texas with a couple of his friends, all right, on the day of the assassination, and that Garrison was looking for them, all right, uh, to hold over, to investigate. I want to stop right there, Jim, just to remind people of what is my favorite scene from the movie JFK, where, based on Garrison's book, he describes bringing in David Ferry, asking him some questions about, David, why did you take a, an auto trip out to, uh, to Texas on, on, a, on, a, on a bad weekend? And he says, well, I was goose hunting. And, and Garrison asks him, did you bring any guns? You know, I, you know I, come to, I forgot. We forgot to bring our guns. We forgot to bring our shotguns, right. Now, it then turns out that um, he gets a phone call from another FBI agent, all right, Regis Kennedy, and he says that they got a call from Garrison's office that they're trying to track down Ferry, okay, all right, 
And so what happens is, this goes on, by the way. Uh-huh. There's about five or six sources that they're getting information from Ferion, all right? You know, which I'm not going to enumerate them all. You can just go ahead and take a look at the document. Right. But what eventually happens, what eventually happens is that this gets too hot uh, for these local guys. Now they're talking about themselves going out. We better talk to this guy. We better talk to this David Ferry guy. And so the local agent then decides that we had better call Washington, all right, to see what we're supposed to say and do about this situation. So that's what happens. They call a guy <coughs> named Deke DeLoach. He was like number three guy so, in the FBI, wasn't he? <laughs> right. He's the number three guy in the FBI at this time. Okay, right below uh, Hoover, Jagger Hoover, and Clyde Tolson. All right? Now, what happens after this is, well, let's put it this way. If you're not familiar with the Kennedy case and you don't understand the way things work, it might be a little shocking. To somebody who is familiar with the Kennedy case and you understand what's going on here, it's kind of predictable. Because... Once the FBI calls up Washington, the whole thing changes. All of these very promising leads are tossed in the waste paper basket. There's no follow-up. There's no investigation. And they go into a state of denial. All right? In other words, they now say that, no, there was no information about Oswald training, uh, being trained by Ferry in the Civil Air Patrol that other sources that are coming forth at this time, like Ed Vogel, who knew both Oswald and Ferry and the CAP, and Jack Martin, uh, who says Ferry knew Oswald, they begin to discredit these people. And so what do they do? They finally, they finally talk to Ferry, okay, and Ferry gives them a pile of baloney a mile long <laughs> that they could have easily discredited uh-huh. and shown that he was lying, okay? But they accept it all, all right? For instance, that he did not know Oswald in this CAP, and he didn't even know, he couldn't identify even a picture of him. He never instructed Oswald or anybody else in the use of firearms, okay? He only assisted uh, firearms instruction for range safety only. He never made any statements saying that JFK should be killed. F- famous, famously did get attention to himself uh, for doing that earlier. Right, you're exactly right, okay? For, he said that he may have used an offhand colloquial expression. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> sure. He ought to be shot at the time of the Bay of Pigs. Sure, we all say that all the time. That's just nothing to that. <laughs> and then, he, how about this one, though? Ferry said he also been called a worshiper of Kennedy because he's a strong believer in many of the programs of the Kennedy administration. All right? So, in other words, he lied his head off, and they dropped the investigation right then and there. 
Do you think it's fair to say, Jim, that at this point in time, just the, the very week after the assassination, the word has gone down that this is Oswald, this case is over, it's closed, we're not looking for accomplices, and then when David, David Ferry pops up, a man obviously with some very unusual connections to young Oswald, they, that's, at that point, they just want to make it go away. I, I would say that that started probably around four days after the assassination. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I would say even less than a week, okay, that they, they realized that, look, there's a lot of stuff. If we turn over this New Orleans scene, we're going to get a lot of really, really interesting information about Oswald, about Ferry, about this guy, Bannister guy. Okay, 544 Camp Street, where we don't want to go to. And so the word came down from on top, okay, that we're going to have to get rid of this thing. It's too big of a hot potato right now. And now, but, but, let, but let, me, let me add one other thing about this. See, when you write out a statement for the FBI, okay, mm-hmm. or when you are interviewed by an FBI agent, okay, uh, not too many people understand this, but... Even if it's only an oral interview, okay, if you lie to an FBI agent, right, in the process of an investigation, uh-huh. that's a felony. Oh. Okay? That's a felony. You can be indicted for perjury, all right? I didn't realize now, that. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah. Okay, and so, now also, let me add something else. If there's an investigation going on, even a half-assed investigation like this, and you try and uh, inter- intervene with other witnesses, or if you try and get secure evidence in order to deep-six it, that's obstruction of justice. Well, that's exactly what Ferry was doing. I don't know. I, I don't know if you know this, but within days of the assassination, he was deliberately trying to cover up his association with Oswald through the Civil Air Patrol, okay? He was looking in this article that we have here at Kennedy's and King. We featured the famous picture of Oswald with Ferry right, at a cookout, at a cookout yeah. in the Civil Air Patrol. He was looking for that picture. He was calling other people who were in the cap at the time. Huh. All right, and he was huh. trying to secure that picture. Huh. All right, see that's that's obstruction of justice. And and by the way, let me talk one add one other thing. Some of these people that he called, they called the FBI <laughs> and said that Ferry was doing this. Okay, now really, now look, well, you know, you I know, don't see, uh-huh. I don't see how it gets any worse than that. Here you have various people calling the FBI office saying, you might be interested in this David Ferry guy. Then you have other people calling the FBI office saying, hey, this Ferry guy is looking for pictures of him and Oswald. (laughs) And he wants to get rid of him. So (laughs) don't you think he's kind of interesting? (laughs) And so so the the orders come on on top from Washington. That no, we're not going to do. And even though, even though I don't think there's any doubt, they could have indicted Ferry for both perjury and instruction of justice at this wow. time. Wow. 
Well, you know, Gerald Posner, as you, you well know, Jim, Gerald Posner wrote a book that explained there's nothing to anything in this whole JFK case. And he also <laughs> made, a, made a point to claim, there's all these claims that Barry knew Oswald. Oh, that's ridiculous. And while uh -huh. he was talking at one of these conferences, researcher John Newman arranged to get a giant blow-up of that photograph you have on your web website showing Ferry and, and Oswald standing about 15 feet apart. He blew right. it up and stuck it right next to Posner as he was up explaining why the two men didn't know each other. That was a favorite moment for me. Right, right. The, the, this whole idea that this new document blows up this whole idea that somehow it was only Jim Garrison who was interested in David Ferry at right. the time. This certainly vindicates Garrison. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, and then there's no doubt that Ferry should have been, he should have been what they, uh, what they call uh, in the trade, uh, at the very least, what they call a person of interest in investigation, which means we should be pursuing this guy. Sure, sure. All right. All right. And they, and they, and they didn't. And I, I think it's, I, I, you, uh, you knew William Turner, right? Oh, sure, sure. The late, yeah, the late FBI agent who wrote a lot of interesting books about these subjects. See, when, when I interviewed Bill, I asked him, I said, what made you so interested in this case at such an early time? And he said, because, Jim... I still knew guys, even though I had retired, I knew guys in the Bureau. And they were kind enough to show me some of the reports that they were getting. Okay? Uh -huh. And so I looked at them, and I immediately understood something was wrong. Okay? Because in any FBI investigation, and I conducted dozens of them, okay, there's essentially three steps. Number one, you collect all the relevant leads. Number two, you go ahead and you pursue those leads, you know, to their ultimate conclusion. And then number three, you assemble a report that puts all the interesting information that you could find in that report, but you do not come to a verdict, all right? Right. He, he said, it was so obvious to me that they didn't do number two. They did not go ahead and follow the lead to its ultimate conclusion. And if you don't do number two, how can you do number three? <laughs> right. Well, see, this is exactly what he was talking about. Okay? It's exactly what he was talking about. They did not pursue the lead to its ultimate conclusion. Right. And he added, after, the, after he told me that, he said, see, Jim, see, FBI agents just don't do that. Yeah. They they don't break that routine. Clearly, something from upstairs was impacting the way that they were conducting this investigation. Pretty hard to argue with that. Yeah, I I would say so. Well, Jim, 56 years have passed since since we lost our 35th president and here's Malcolm Blunt. I should say uh we should give him a plug, a rather legendary investigator. He's nosing around somewhere and he stumbles across this highly interesting document, which I think leads us to believe that there's a lot of stuff out there that's still going to raise eyebrows when, when, when we get our hands on it. Well, isn't that the amazing part? Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is like 55 years, 55 years after Kennedy's killed, and we're still getting this stuff? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> 
<laughs> let's, let's talk about that. There's, there's, there's a lot of the House Select Committee put some evidence away and said this once, it, you know, once the time comes, we're going to let it go. And the time to let it go has come during the Trump administration. And it appears that uh, Donald Trump is not in any kind of hurry to. Uh, he appears to be listening to the people telling him, no, 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 keep this stuff, keep this stuff classified. The legal date for what was supposed to be the last year of anything being classified was October of 2017, all right? Now, what happens at that time? Well, on the day that it's supposed to be declassified, Trump now says that he's going to hold back on many of these documents. First, he said it was going to be six months. Then he lengthened it to three years. Okay. In other words, it's going to be the 2021. Now, what makes that so weird is that you recall the review board was set up in 1994 to do this express job. It was a release all these documents which had been so secret. Right. That was their whole point. All low, low those 31 years. (laughs) Right. All right. And so. If they had not been there, it still would have been declassified in 2029. So in other words, with Trump, with Trump, uh, we saved eight years out of 50. If, okay. If, if when the day comes, we actually get our hands on those documents, which frankly, Jim, I have my doubts. <laughs> yeah, so do I. You know, if you ask me, uh, and I had this from more than one source, uh, there was a lot of... Uh, let's say, spontaneous combustion going on the night of the Kennedy assassination. God. You know? <laughs> God. Well, you're continuing to do some great work. We Our hat is off to you. We, we want to send some people to your website, which they can, where, where can they find, where can they find this article and more? Okay. This is at uh, what's called Kennedy's and King, all right, and kennedysandking.com. And uh, this is one of our leading stories uh, for the week, uh, but we also have stuff, another featured story on uh, Kennedy in Vietnam, Kennedy versus David Halberstam and uh, Neil Sheehan, all right, and we also have another article about Operation Gladio, the NATO stay-behind operations in Europe, and possible links between the assassination of JFK and the murder of Aldo Moro of Italy. Those are just some of the articles that we have going. Okay. I, I, I enjoy your site very much and can highly recommend it to all of our listeners. I think you will not be disappointed to see what Mr. Gigino has placed uh, there for your reading pleasure. Jim, always a pleasure. Okay, thank you. Always a pleasure to speak with Mr. Di Eugenio. I have to say, though, that uh, 
as referencing uh, Joe Pesci's <laughs> memorable performance in Oliver Stone's JFK as the late David Ferry. It is a memorable scene, but but I have to say that I think he was eclipsed by John Candy, whose portrayal of New Orleans hipster lawyer Dean Andrews was uh, was quite remarkable. In fact, after I go to Dallas in November, uh, we'll probably do a special program looking looking again at the mysteries of the JFK assassination. I'll probably read some of the transcripts of Dean Andrews' testimony before the Warren Commission for their comedic value. I do remember as a boy a contemporaneous news account where Andrews was trying to backpedal on some of the statements he'd made previously. I think he was referring to some statements made to the FBI, which he denied with the memorable summary of, they got the right ta-ta, but the wrong ho-ho, which I'm still laughing about these many decades later. This program was produced by Edward McMillan, as, as they all are. He tends to have the right ta-ta and also the right ho-ho. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week. At least, I hope so.